If you haven't been able to tell from the, the songs and from just that playing, we're going to talk about new life, uh, what it means to be transformed, renewing of the mind. Um, we're going to continue the series in the walk. And, you know, the last couple of weeks we've talked about, you know, our gifts and serving. But I want to really get down to, like, the internal, like where all of that flows from. And um, the lady that was speaking, her name is Jackie Hill Perry. And uh, she's a believer. She is an amazing believer, amazing testimony. You can look her up. And um, that was one of her spoken words. And she talks about just, we, talk, we sing about new life. The last song, it was a great song. I love that song. You know, we're free, we're free. You know, new life begins in me because of what Christ has done for us. But I think a lot of us can sing that song on Sundays. But through the rest of the week, I think she speaks true. That we walk around with bones, dead men's bones inside of us, you know, with just fear and angst and the past coming after us and just, just, just blinding us to what Christ has done for us. And again, it's really easy here in America to, to look at and talk about new life and transformation. We look at our lives and, you know, compared to the rest of the world, we're extremely blessed. Regardless of what you have, if you live here, you are blessed. And um, it's so easy for that to blind who we are. And it's a really good way to hide the fact that we don't have that new life. We struggle with that. And this is not me preaching to you. Trust me, I've wrestled with this um, a lot. And I am the first one to admit that I've struggled with this. So, this, so I want to go ahead and say at the onset, this is not me preaching to you. In fact, a lot of these, like the problems that run into the pitfalls that lead to not living this new life are not just from me, you know, reading books and stuff. These are from my life. So this is me being real with you because I think that if we're going to understand this new life and live it out, I think we're going to have to just be real and own up to the fact that sometimes we're just, we're really messed up and Jesus answers that. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Myers. I am, I am the church planning intern here. I just came on staff a couple, about a month ago. Um, I'm looking, or I'm planting a church in Dandridge, and uh, just to kind of give a little update on that, things are going great, meeting people, um, stuff like that. I'm, I'm one who will, like, I'm not ashamed to plug anytime I get a chance, so um, I don't know if he's got the slide up there or not. Uh, we're Legacy Church, so... <laughs> yep, well, it's okay. So, um, which makes the next part what I was going to do really funny, because I was going to say, like, I, I sent the slides into Andy on Wednesday... And she put them in there. And then yesterday, I, the boys kind of stayed with my parents. So I was kind of just wrestling again with this because it's just something that's just been kind of gnawing at me and gnawing at me. So I went back through and I added a bunch of slides. And the media team, uh, just everybody in the media team, the children's workers, I've been hearing the little baby cry in the back. And I just want to take some time to pray and just thank God for the people who work in the media team. I, I can't say too much because my brother-in-law, Aaron's the one doing the slides and stuff. So he uh, went through and uh, added some stuff in for me and made some changes. Um, but just like, first off, let's just give them a hand because they're amazing. They do a lot of work and find the scenes and our children's workers. And um, even though he forgot my slide to plug, so it's okay. Uh, last time he like put funny pictures up there of me and I keep looking, if you see me looking back, it's because I'm always afraid there's going to be like an awkward picture of me because he likes to do that. Um, so uh, let's pray and pray for the, like the, the workers. Because again, I was hearing a baby and I, I just, I, I have twin boys and I know just how difficult that is. So pray for the workers, pray for the babies um, and just, you know, pray to God just that would let them minister to these children. So let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for, 
allowing me the opportunity to just to talk about the new life in you. Lord, this, it's, it's all because of you and it's all found in you. And until we wrestle with that and come to grips with that, we're going to get the same results that we always do. Um, so Father, I ask that you would just break our hearts. Let your spirit just be, just be bringing life and actually just killing the sin that's inside of us. It's holding us back, Lord, and just working in our hearts to transform who we are so that we can be more like you. Lord, you've been breaking me for years and you'll continue to break me, Lord, because it's just how we are as humans. We're broken, we're sinful, we mess up, we fall short, but your grace and your love is always after us and always pursuing us and always bringing us back, Lord. And Lord, I ask you to uh, thank you for the media team and Lord, what they do, Lord, they don't get the recognition that, recognition that they deserve sometimes, Lord. So I pray that you just, I just thank you for them and their faithful service, Lord the children's workers, Lord, the ones who are pouring in and discipling the younger generations, Lord, I thank you for them and I ask you just to be with them and give them strength and give them the love to share the gospel with the children. And again, I just thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter four. That may surprise some of you if you haven't been here. So yeah, so Ephesians chapter four and we're gonna be in verse 17. So like I said, the last couple weeks we've been talking about gifts and our callings and service and... Um, uh, Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy and Preston have been kind of walking through the last couple of verses and kind of leading up to this. Um, and here, here is what happens. When we hear about service, when we hear about going and doing stuff, and, you know, whether it's, like, you know, serving in children's ministry or if you're insane, like, because I was a youth pastor, I can say this. If you're insane and you work with the students and stuff like that, it, it, it takes part of you. Like, when you serve people, whether it's here, or I want to say this, when we talk about our gifts, and Preston and Jimmy both talked about this, when we talk about our gifts and service, it's not just here. It's who you are and how you live that out through the rest of the week. But when you do that day in and day out, it, it, just, it, just not, it can just pull on you. And it eats away at you if you're not rooted in Christ. If you're not walking in the new life. Because see, in America, we have the American dream which basically says that if you are willing to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just push as hard as you can, you can do and be anything that you want to be. Is that not kind of what the American dream says? I'm going to make a shocker here, but that's actually a lie to the gospel. Like, that's actually telling God that how you wired us, if I disagree with that, I can go do what I want. That's not really how that works. See, we, we, we think that we can pull ourselves up and tell me if this sounds like your Christian walk, because this is how mine has been at different times. Um, we get convicted, so then we do our best. Like, we're, I'm going to do this, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to pray every day, I'm going to, I'm, you know, whatever, I'm going to journal, I'm going to, it's just, you fill in the blanks, you're, you're going to do good. You're going to try hard, and you try, and for like two or three weeks, maybe it goes great, and then you just, you just, you just screw it up. Like, you do something, and it just... All that work you've been doing, it just goes down the drain. You, it's how you feel anyways. So then you kind of fall back into kind of a little bit of a spiritual depression. You're like, oh man, how could God love me? How, how do I keep messing up? Blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, you, a message happens again. You're like, oh, you know what? I, this time, this time I've got it. I, I've got it. I figured it out. I read this new book. Amazing. Like it's, it's it, 13 steps to living like, you know, to getting my spiritual growth in order right now. I make it through like, two or three, and then, and if you keep doing that, you can come in here and sing. You may even come in here and raise your hands, 
But when you sing of new life, you sing of death being arrested, and you sing of transformation, let's be honest. At times, they feel like empty words because you're not actually experiencing that. And understand me, Christianity is not all about feelings because sometimes our feelings, can, we, just, we just can kind of get messed up. And there's like two sides to this. If you're an extremely disciplined person, which I am not, uh, evident by the fact that I had to have Aaron redo my slides, um, if you're a disciplined person, it may be easy for you to actually set these things in order and just kind of go down the line. You may be able to do that. Uh, but here is the pitfall. If you do that and you make it about checking off the boxes, it's not spiritual growth. It's checking boxes. Because it doesn't, like I've met people who've read their Bible for years. And when you start talking about Jesus, there's just this look of, I never realized that about Jesus. You know, it's like, well, how is it you could read the Bible for years? And well, it's because you're just reading it just maybe just to check it off. Or on the other side of the spectrum, you may be in a super emotional person and like your feelings kind of dictate everything. And here's the thing, the body needs all of these. Like they, we balance each other out. And I think if you read through like the sections that Preston and Jimmy preached through, he talks about all the different gifts and giftings. It's a balancing act. See, if you lean too heavy to one side, you alienate the other side. But what it is is they complement each other and they even each other out. So if you're an emotionally driven person, you may think that um, you know Satan's after you all the time, and it's just because you went to four seven or you went to the Strawberry Plains exit and you ate crystals. I mean, your stomach's tearing you up, and you think all of a sudden Satan attacked you. It's like no, that's not Satan. That's because you ate crystals. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we, we know this, but we know, we know what's going to happen, but we do it anyways, which is a testament to our spiritual understanding. So what is it that actually leads to new life? What is it that, that just actually triggers it and brings it about? We, we wrestle with these, and I'm going I'm to read through this, verse 17 through, um, through 24 in Ephesians, and then we're just going to kind of unpack different things. So Scripture says this, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Pretty straightforward. Don't do this. So don't walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. And it's not just kind of like they just don't know. It's because of also, and it's due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, blah, all of a sudden can't talk, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth, now catch this, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in truth and true righteousness and holiness. See, we talk about serving. We talk about all of this. But I want you to understand. The renewal of the believer's mind is only possible when we believe and we live out what Jesus has done for us. And I know like, that's been kind of like the whole for the last, you know, actually month or so. That's kind of been the whole statement. It's not exactly how it's been said, but I just wanted to change it up a little bit because that's just kind of how I do things occasionally. So we live out what Jesus has done for us. That is, as believers, we live out the gospel daily. That's what we're supposed to do. Sounds really easy, right? I mean, just, hey, okay. 
Live out what Jesus has done for me. Check. Walk in the gospel every day. Check. Let's do it. I mean, come on, let's just, let's just do that. But, um, and that's actually one of the, tr- the, the values here at True Life. Um, it's uh, number three of the core values. We are a place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. I mean, new life. You know, we understand that people are broken and fallen, but we don't want you to stay that way. And we, it's, it goes on to say, we want people to come as they are because we do not expect non-Christians to act like Christians. However, we do expect Christians to be in the process of becoming more like Jesus. That's the new life. That's what, we're, that's what we're expecting from people here. So, here's the question. Why are so many believers not walking in new life? Why is it easy for me to walk through life at times and not even really acknowledge Jesus? To even look at who he is. So, we have the old self. So, here's the, th- here's the thing. In America, and especially in the South, Evangelism is very difficult, very difficult. I've talked to, uh, I got the opportunity to meet a missionary from Leipzig, Germany, like atheist capital of the world. He said evangelism is pretty straightforward. They don't believe in God. So your starting ground is pretty straightforward. I mean, hey, you've got to start with the fact that there is a God, and we start with Jesus, and we go through the death, burial, and resurrection. If, we can, if they believe that, everything else just kind of flows out of Jesus. Here in the South, on the other hand, we have, a, we have a problem that is not prominent at other places. And the issue is, is that we have to spend a lot of our time in evangelism convincing people that think they're believers that they're actually really not. And that may come as a surprise to you, and some of you may already be thinking of, quote, Matthew to me, the whole judge, not lest you be judged. That's fine, but here's the thing. Jesus never told us just to come forward and say some magic prayer and then live our lives just the, the way we want to. I mean, he never said, hey, come forward, shake the preacher's hand, and, you know, say this prayer, and all of a sudden, your life's going to be magically perfect, and then you can just kind of go on through Monday through Friday and do whatever, Monday through Saturday, do what you want, and not ever acknowledge Jesus again. That's, that's, how, we, that's how we kind of market Christianity at times. Scripture says something different. Scripture talks about the fact that um, that's not how this works. It's not just like you actually cease to have like dominion over your life. We talk about the lordship of Jesus, and we sometimes try to separate it, I think, from evangelism and stuff like that. But the lordship of Jesus says that God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. He's in complete control. So what gives me the right to say, love you on Sunday, I got it through the week? That's what we do. So as a result, it's ingrained in us. And sometimes, man, we just have people that are, if you, we look through the list. What does he say about those? He says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. He says, they walk in the futility of their mind. Well, there's, there's part of that. The arrogance. In America, we are individualistic. We believe we can accomplish whatever we want. And to be honest, if you actually read the account of uh, Satan tempting Eve, you know, there's some similarities in how we kind of tell people and how we raise our kids. And a plug for parents here, because I was a youth pastor, and I was probably horrible at it, and I think I was. But here's the thing. I would never tell kids they could be whatever they want. I would instruct them the fact that, as Ephesians 2.10 says, they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that they should walk in them. We want to tell people and we, that they can do whatever they want and be whatever they want, and that's just not how God's wired us. Do it. Does anybody in here really want me to do, like, surgery on you? I mean, come on. Hey, if we believe that, 
I'll get, I, I get, I'll pull my phone out, I'll Google it, and I can probably do like anything. I mean, sure, if you want, if you like pour into it, but I mean, you don't want me. Sure, I might be able to learn the book knowledge of it, but trust me, you don't want these hands working on your skull. It's just not going to go well. But that's what we keep telling people. And here's the thing. It builds up this sense of arrogance, but it's also, it also leads into great depression when we figure out that that's just not how life works. So that's why we constantly walk in the sense of, you know, I just, I just can't get through life. So in the futility of our minds, so we, we, we kind of shut God out. So we go on. Um, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. They're separated. I mean, we're talking about people who are completely separated from God, and that's sometimes the major catch to why some people are not walking a new life. It's because they were never really following to begin with. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's actually kind of falling on the church at times. And I'm not, I understand this, say this. I'm not saying that is a reflection of true life. I'm saying churches in general at times have just made it, we want to make the gospel so easy that we've actually left out the fact that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, die to yourself. I mean, you just want to keep going down through the line of all the things that Jesus said that made people uncomfortable. We've made it, we just want to make it to our come say a prayer and we, are, we care about numbers and we've forgotten transformation. So he says, we're alienated from God, um, from the life of God because of our ignorance that is in us, the hardness of our hearts. Now, this can be a characteristic of a believer and an unbeliever, so this one kind of carries over, but we're just, we're so hardened in who we are. I mean, I can, you can talk to people, and I did this when I, when I worked in Knoxville at a church. It was a rough area. I was in inner cities. You would go through and talk to people, and I learned really quickly, you could not like have a conversation and then, then go to the spiritual by doing this. So, are you saved? I learned that really quick. Because when you, say, when you use that language, it's very easy for somebody to go, yeah, I was saved back in, uh, you know, uh, 1962 at such and such church. I can tell you the name of the pastor. I can tell you the color of the carpet. And then I'm like, okay, so what do you, what's, what's Jesus doing now? What? You're like, what, what is, where is Jesus working in your life now? He, he is? I mean, and so I learned, and I actually had a friend kind of remind me of this. I, I have a discipleship relationship with a guy in Knoxville, and we were kind of talking about this, and he made that statement to a buddy of his who, from what, looking at his life, from judging fruit, probably not a believer. But he said that, and the guy, boom, came back with something super quick. So... God has kind of been working on me with this, and I, I don't even really use that language anymore simply because it's so easy to come up with a singular event to say yes. But when you look at the overall spectrum of the life, probably not. Again, I know some of you are probably thinking I'm judging, but I'm not. You, you can read through Scripture and see how this happens. They're probably not. So my question generally is, so are you following Jesus? you following because if you're following, that means you're continually going after him and you're going to look more like him. And I know that kind of sounds like the last time I preached. And again, some of you are probably like, when you saw me walk up here, your heart sank and you're like, oh, man, I, I promise. I know it sounds like I'm being like really harsh. Again, this is born out of like my mess ups and my, you know, years of journey in the Christian faith and just not getting it right and messing up and crashing and burning. So again, we... Um, you're, you're, you may just not be a believer. That's why the Christian walk is so hard for you because you don't know Jesus. And you can't follow Jesus if you don't know him. So another one is we've lost our awe of God. 
we've really, really lost. Because if you read through this, I mean, again, let's just, I'm not going to recap the whole book, at least not at this point. If you think that the whole book of Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians, the, especially the first three chapters, which are like the doctrine of like who God is, what he's done for us, it should put us in such a place that we just should stand in awe, drool coming down our face, because it's just, how? Why? Why is it that I'm broken and sinful? That, that is in the very first chapter. He talks about that he chose us before the foundations of the world. That's him pursuing me in my brokenness. Him coming after me, coming after you in your brokenness. He pursues you. He chooses us before the foundation of the world. And not only does he just kind of bring us in and just say, hey, you know, it's nice to meet you. He says, no, 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 no. That's not enough. I'm going to make you a part of my family. So he adopts us into himself. He puts us in the family of God. That's, the, that's why it's so sad. When I look at and I watch and I look at my own life and I see people when they're living out this, this broken, uh, just twisted, distorted Christian life and we're missing the fact that he has given us life. He has put us in the family of God. We walk around not as, oh, I'm just a sinner, which is kind of a thing I have on there later. But no, we are the children of God. We're sealed with the Spirit of God. He's placed the Spirit inside of us to seal us. The fact that nothing can happen to us. We've lost that. We've heard it so much, we've become inoculated to the gospel and all of its truths. I mean, we talk about this, but we've really lost... Uh, I'm going to turn to this real quick. When you read through the book of Psalms, I love reading through Psalms, because it exposes my lack of awe of who God is. Because when you read through Psalms, it's generally... I know some people talk about like modern music occasionally and how it just kind of repeats stuff. Read through the book of Psalms, they repeat a lot. Like, it's like they, they'll, they'll find something and it's like, they'll be like whole sections of books. Listen to this language right here. Psalms 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul is thirsty for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? We don't talk like that. We may sing like that on Sunday mornings, but we don't really talk like that. We don't really talk about really thirsting for who God is, for being in awe of who he is. If you read through Psalms, awestruck nature of God, and it's constantly like the whole theme of remembering what God has done for you. God has done this for you. God has done this for you. Remember my faithfulness. Remember my faithfulness. My mercy, my mercy. I mean, you read through it, but we've lost our awe of who God is. And as a result, we can easily say that we're a Christian. We can easily say that we're a child of God, but we've really lost what that, the weight that that actually carries in who we are. We, 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 we've lost out on that. And again, this is me. Uh, Craig Rochelle in his book, Christian Atheist, basically called out Western Christianity with the fact that we're functional atheists. Again, personal life here. We can live our lives Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and... We don't have to acknowledge who God is. I'm not going to go home and wonder where my food's coming from. I'm not going to go home and wonder. Now, some of you may, and I'm not, but I'm, some of these things I'm not going to wonder about. Like, if you go overseas to, like, China, where they have secret churches and stuff like that, because they have to have underground churches because they cannot worship openly without persecution, they don't have what we have, but they have something that we don't. They have a love for God that is just so contagious. They, it, it flows out of them. 
That's why Christianity is blowing up in countries where it's illegal because they are in such awe and love of God that it just flows out of them. It's so contagious. But again, many of us, like Jackie Hill Perry said, are walking around with hell beneath our rib cages. We're so afraid. We're so just, just, we just don't want to give it up. Then we go on to lies. Here's some lies that we believe um, after we follow Christ. And this is, this, these are some big things that we believe. And these are things that I've struggled with. The more I serve God, the more favor we earn. Oh, that's, that's the, we, again, when we talk about service, that's kind of the big one. We think that if I serve God enough, it earns me brownie points. I mean, come on. Some of you are going, I would never believe that. Come on. Come on. Don't, don't play that game with me. You know why I know that you've probably done it? Because I've done it. I think if I do X, Y, Z, I expect God to come through on something. That's how it works. God is sovereign. God does what he wants. And I submit to that. If he chooses to give this, he does. If he doesn't, it's for my benefit and for his glory. Easy to say, almost impossible. It's, it's impossible to live out on our own. When we fall, God loves us less. Come on. I grew up in legalistic churches, and I imagine a lot of you guys did. Um, man, God is so vengeful. I mean, they spend most of their time preaching from the Old Testament where it's just God is wrath, God is this. And don't get me wrong, God is wrathful, God is justice. And in fact, that strengthens the power of the gospel when you understand it in context. But if all you talk about is how God is vengeful, man, you mess up. And then you're just thinking, you're just waiting for the hammer to drop. Like, God is just going to, you know, just wear you out. Like, and I do this. I fall. I, I, I do some sin. I fall, and I know it's something I've been struggling with, and I just, I mess up. And then something happens, and I'm like, there it is. But that's not a good father. That's not how the father works. That's my brokenness, my sinfulness, distorting who the image of God is. And it's a lie that I believe at times. Uh, God could never use, use broken people. That's a cop-out because we're all broken. We all fall short of the glory of God, and that's why he, you know, he works in us. So we go through. We think that you know, I'm just a lowly sinner. Uh, no, you're a child of God if you're a believer. We, we just keep throwing these things out there. Uh, I can give Jesus part of my life. That's, that's one we like. We like that one. Again, the whole Jesus, have this area over here. Leave it alone. Don't mess with it. Um, Let's see, uh, we think we can lose our salvation, which that could be a big one. Because if you're constantly worried about messing up to the point where God cannot love you and he will never, and he ex- excommunicates you from the family. I mean, let's just think of it from the point of adoption. I, ha- I, know, I know quite a few people who've adopted. Here's the thing, when their kids mess up, do they go, you're done, out. No, no well, that's just horrible. That's just even like, where would, why would you do that? So why would we even project that idea of who, on who God is? That we mess up and all of a sudden it's like, hey, God's just going to cast me out. And here's the thing. That's rooted in a man-centered, we are who we are. We are our own people and not resting in the fact that God is in control. So we go on. We have these lies we believe. Um, and these lies are born out of our misunderstanding and our... Um, distrust for the finished work of Christ. That's where they actually come from. So all of this is born out of just our not understanding or we just don't trust it. Most of the time it's probably more of a we don't trust thing. I know the Bible says God is sovereign, but why is it I struggle with anxiety? 
I'm not talking like, I'm not saying that to like try to hit you guys. I'm saying that with me. And I'm not talking, I'm just like, why do I struggle with that? Is it something like, you know, and again, I know there's times where it's clinically where there's like, it's the chemical imbalance. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the fact that there are times I walk around and I just have anxiety because I just don't trust who God is. I'm not talking clinical here. I'm talking just me and my brokenness and my sinfulness. And again, this kind of goes into the other one. We don't long for Jesus. We don't really long to know who he is. We don't really dive into who he is. And irony of this is that we've lost our first love, which if you actually know what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation, guess what their one big fault was? If you read through this, like you read through the first three chapters, it's all about all these amazing things God has done for them. If you read through the book of Acts and see all that God had done for the church at Ephesus and when he founded it, you have these crazy miracles. You have like the seven sons of Sceva who go in to try to cast out a demon. And the demon's like, who are you? And they're like, you know, we, we were preaching Jesus. He's like, well, I know who Jesus is and I know who this Paul dude is, but I don't know who you guys are. He jumps on him, whips him, throws him out of the house naked. I mean, you have these crazy stories happening. These people come out, they burn their books of witchcraft, confessing their sins, they burn it to get rid of it. I mean, the church of Ephesus had some crazy stories. But when you read Jesus' words to the church in Revelation, he says to them, I have this fault against you. He says, because you've lost your first love. You've left it. So if he can write this book to them, and this is still fairly early on, and within just a generation or so, all of a sudden come back to them and say, hey, look, I wrote these truths to you. I've given these to you. There's been these amazing things I've done for you. But you've lost your first love. That means we can do it very easily. So, and here's here's what happens when we live out of this. When we live out of this brokenness and this distorted view of who God is, these lies, here's what happens. We produce death and not life in our daily walk. And we are, ah, I wrote this and I should be able to read it probably better, shouldn't I? Uh, this is also why our minds are not being renewed. See, when I say death, I'm not saying like you're killing somebody. But spiritually speaking, that's why a lot of us walk around and spiritually we just, we just kind of produce death. You read through Paul's words and stuff like that in Romans, he talks about life and death, the spirit giving life and the flesh producing death. A lot of us walk around and if we're very honest, we, we walk around with a stench of decay and decomp on us because we're not walking in new life. We're believers. We're, 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 just, we're just really messed up at this point. We go on. Um, this leaves us fighting a battle that we can never win on our own and that has already been won by Jesus on our behalf. See, that is the crux of the whole thing. You cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps to walk the new, the new life. You cannot seek to follow these steps, follow certain steps, and be renewed in your mind. Because all of that is what we're trying to make it happen. Sure, we have responsibilities when it comes to the new life. We have responsibilities when it comes to renewing our mind. There's a lot of that. But you just cannot do it on your own. And you have to also understand that everything that you're fighting has already been won. Um, interesting thing. Does anybody know who this is? I doubt it. Unless you are like an ultra, 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 ultra World War II enthusiast. And I, I heard about this guy from another pastor named Ray or, uh, Ortland. So his name is Hiro Onada. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly. Born March 19th, 1922. He died January 16th, 2014. He was a Japanese lieutenant and intelligence officer. 
He was tasked, catch this, he was tasked to the Lubang Islands in the Philippines on December 26th, 1944. His orders were this, you cannot kill yourself, you cannot surrender, and that you do everything that you can to disrupt this island for the Japanese cause. That's what he was given. Him and three other men were basically out there, and through different events, he ended up being the high-ranking official, so he was the lieutenant, and he, um, yeah. So, what year did World War II end? 45. Mm, caveat that. Essentially, yes. Do you want to know when Onada actually gave up? Does anybody know? He followed his... They, they, he, he did not walk out of there. He did not walk out of, this, out of this jungle he was in until March 9th, 1974. Roughly 29 years, essentially. He fought World War II for 29 years, essentially after it was done. They dropped leaflets saying, hey, look, the war's over. Come out. We're not going to do anything to you. No. They would, the, them and the men would get together. They would read the leaflets and be like, no. One man eventually walked out. I think, in the, I think it was in the 50s. A private. He walked out. Um, and then two other men that he was with had been shot multiple times because they would get in skirmishes with the local police or fishermen because they were still fighting the war. They would come in and steal supplies. They would burn uh, rice fields. They, would, they were just making havoc on this little island in the Philippines, which, if you even think, this little island, I mean, super small. But this guy fought for 29 years after the war was over. It was not until... If I remember the story correctly, it was not until that they brought his commanding officer who gave him the order of do not surrender, do not kill yourself, fight until the bitter end. It was not until he came in and formally, formally said, look, these are your orders. You are to surrender. It was not until then that he was willing to give it up. They, they sent pictures of their family. The local governments tried to come in and do all. They, they tried multiple times to get this man to walk out. And at the, towards the end, two of the other men that were with him had died. They got, in lo- they got in skirmishes and they got shot and they died. He fought a war for 29 years that was already done. We are not so different. We're not. We have been fighting our sinfulness and our brokenness on our own power. And as a result, we've done this for maybe five years or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. And we keep fighting and we keep fighting and we keep fighting. And we just forgot the fact that Jesus already finished it. Death is defeated. Sin is con- he took our sin upon himself. Now granted, we're still broken. We still mess up. But he took that upon him. He paid for that. So why are we still trying to fight a battle that's already been won? We think that I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do that, which is exactly how Satan tempted Eve. Or when you look at Satan falling, it was the I, I, I. We have all these different things, and it's rooted out of the fact that we're fighting a battle that it's already been won. And here's, the, here, here's something really good for you guys. Know this. God already knows this. He's not surprised. It does not surprise God that we did this. Does that make you feel better? Like God is sovereign. 
He knows that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we are prone to wander. He knows that we are prone to follow after our own understanding. He knows that we're prone to have a broken and calloused heart. And guess what? He answers all of these. You read through the Old Testament, especially I think it's in... um, Oh, wow, all of a sudden I totally went blank. Jeremiah, he talks about giving a new heart. He removes the heart of stone and gives the heart of flesh. We read through the Old Testament, and the Old Testament's really speaking to how broken and messed up we are as people, and then we read through the gospel and how Jesus just conquers it. Here's the thing. If we're going to walk in the new life, and if we're going to walk in who Jesus is, here's some things we need to know. We must know Christ to have his mind. You know you're like, probably like, duh, I mean, if I'm going to follow somebody, I better know who they are. Here's the, here's the thing. What I'm not telling you is to get factual information of who Jesus is. If you want that, go to seminary. I'm being serious. If you want, just get some factual information. Go to, go to a seminary class. Go buy a theological textbook and start reading. You can learn all sorts of interesting truths and phrases and stuff like that. But at the very end of the day, that does not know, mean that you know Jesus at all. It doesn't mean that you know God at all, and that will not lead you to transformation. It will lead you to arrogance. Because I know truths about who God is. I have, I have, I know different people, and it's like their line of thought is like intellectual. Like they're just very intellectual people. And sometimes the irony is they puff themselves up so much with their knowledge of God. And it's like, how can the knowledge of who God is and the knowledge of our salvation and what it took and our, our state of being bring to arrogance? I don't understand because it should be, hum- it should be humbling and make us understand. See, you, re- you look at uh, Philippians. Philippians 2, uh, verse 5. Let me find it real quick. Uh, here we go. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And I think this is, I don't think there's a, I think this is really interesting, the fact that he says, have this mind that's in yours. And then he basically gives a, syn- a synopsis of the gospel. He says, have this mind, which is, you know, this is it's yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself, a, made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to really get back to really knowing who Jesus is. Like actually knowing him. Not facts. When you read scripture, when you read these truths of Christ, when you read the fact that you are chosen before the foundations of the world, it should mean something. When you read the fact that you were adopted into the family, it should mean something. I actually have some of these up here, and I wasn't going to like recap the entire book, but I ended up doing it anyways. Um, oh, actually, hold up. So we, 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 have to, we have to know who he is. In fact, the early church, when they would try to counter heresy, they didn't spend as much time. Now, they would definitely like counter heresy and say, look, this is why this is wrong. But you know what they would did, did to strengthen the church? They would teach people who Jesus is. Because if they're teaching who uh, counter truth to the gospel of who Jesus is, the easiest way for them to counter that was for the people to already know who Jesus is. It's the easiest way. If they truly know and love the person and the work of who Jesus is, it's really hard to, to pull them away from it. In fact, if you, I've talked to different like, 
people right here like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of them come from Baptist churches, especially within Mormons. And the reason is, is that they go knock on their door. They say that, hey, we have some similarities. Come to one of our Bible studies. And if the person doesn't know any better, boom. And all of a sudden, they're learning truth in seclusion, and they're teaching them the false gospel of who Jesus is not. But because they're taking the time to actually do what sometimes we're not doing ourselves or the church is not helping with, yep. boom, they're gone. So if we want to actually walk in new life, we need to know who Jesus is. What does he say um, back in Ephesians? He says this, uh, Ephesians 4, um, verse 21. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as truth is, listen to this, as the truth is in Jesus to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt in its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in your mind, or renewed in the spirit of your mind, to put on the new self and, and the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. That is found in the truth of who Jesus is. The person and work of Christ, all of that is already done for you. So, and here it folds into this. We must allow the Spirit to crucify our flesh daily so that we can walk in new life. Now, I can't remember actually what, okay, I couldn't remember what scripture I actually had for this. Because um, I was, you know, Galatians where it talks about the fact we've been crucified with Christ. But I actually want to read Colossians chapter 3 in just a couple of verses. If then you've been raised with Christ... If you say you're a believer, this applies to you. If then you say you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. New life is only found in Christ. It's only found in the finished work of Christ, and it's only found living through that work. Like, we have to set our minds on things above. Like, it's so easy here to get sidetracked and to get focused. I mean, I'm planting a church. You would think that would be the easiest thing to say focused. It is so hard to do that. Because I have to do this, 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 this. And some of it's not even like what you would consider ministry. It's just things I have to worry about, things I have to do. And by the end of the day, I'm like, I accomplished nothing for the kingdom of God. Because I got to, and I'm not saying these things are wrong, I'm just saying it's just so easy to get distracted. So we go on. I'm going to burn through these really quick. Truths of our new life in Christ. It says, okay, we're chosen. We're adopted in the family of God. We're forgiven. We're sealed by the Spirit. We are given spiritual life in Christ. We are saved by God's grace. God shows us off as a testament to his grace. I love that one in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's see here. Um, we are God's personal work of art with purpose. Again, not what we want, but what God has designed us to do. Jesus is our peace. Think about this. All of these truths, all of these truths should lead to the new life, and we walk in those. It's not us trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and live out of this life on our own. It's living in the fact that everything's already been done for us. So when we read Scripture, we don't read Scripture just to fill our heads with knowledge. We read Scriptures to know who Jesus actually is. Sure, we'll learn information about Him, but it's for transformation, it's for transformation. It's for just changing who we are. Uh, I have this up there. The renewal of the believers. Uh, actually, I'm reading the wrong notes. Um, uh, Jesus removed all dividers. I thought there was more on that. Jesus removed all dividers such as race, nationality, economic, social, whatever. Jesus destroys all barriers of who we are. So all the things the world puts up, Jesus destroys. So if you build barriers up in your life, 
you better be willing to destroy them because Jesus says you have to, and if it's not, it's sinful. And we have access to the Father, and I didn't even go through the rest of it because there's tons more stuff that you could, we could walk through. To walk a new life is a daily battle that must be actively fought. Um, I have 2 Corinthians on there. I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you. Basically, it says this. We don't, we're not fighting flesh and blood here. Like, we're fighting a spiritual battle that requires spiritual tools, and we have to be willing to strengthen our minds with these spiritual things so that we can pull down the strongholds that are up in our lives and that Satan wages against us. We don't like to talk about Satan at times because we're like, we're, you know, 21st century, blah, blah, blah. But we're fighting a spiritual battle that if we're not willing to really dive into and fight with what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus has given us, we're done. You're walking into a battlefield backwards, and it's not going to go well. To walk a new life is a daily battle that must be actively fought every day again. And here we go. We have to renew our minds by this. And here's like the practical things for you guys. Getting to know Jesus through the Bible. You said you've already said that, and I'm going to say it again. In fact, if you hear me preach ever again, you will hear this again. You will always hear me talk about the gospel and the fact that in order to walk a new life, to be transformed, to what, whatever you want to throw in there, the gospel is always going to be it. The gospel is always going to be your answer because Jesus has finished it for us. So we, we get to know Jesus through the Bible. We pray daily for strength in our walk with Christ. Um, prayer is sometimes very difficult for me. I kind of have ADD. I can like zone out. So I kind of use a system. It's called TAX. I, I got this from a seminary professor. And basically, it kind of helps you set up to where, and I don't have this up there, but it helps you kind of set up to, to pray. First off, you start with Thanksgiving. So you're very thankful for what God has given you. So you start thanking him for random stuff. And this is how you can pray for a minute. You can pray for five minutes. You can pray for hours doing this. So you, go, you start with being thankful for what God has given you and who God is. Adoration. You just start pouring out praises to who God is because he's amazing. If you want help with that, read through Psalms. Just pouring out praises to who God is. Um, wow, all of a sudden I just, yeah, confession. By the time you start with the thankfulness of who God is and understanding the holiness and majesty of who God is, confession becomes very easy because all of a sudden the holiness of God is right in your face and then that wants to burn away all the sinfulness inside of you. So you start confessing. And then, and only then, do you make your supplications or you make your request before God? Because by that point, you're thankful for what you've already been given. You're just awestruck by the majesty of God. You've confessed your sins to the Father. And now, and only now, can you really see Jesus truly and know really what to ask for? That helps me kind of, I don't do that every time, but it helps me to stay focused. Um, we live out Jesus in our daily life. Again, just set a goal. And again, I'm not saying just for goal setting here, but set a goal to say, look, Jesus lived like this, so I'm going to attempt to do this in Jesus's power. You're praying for this, you're working towards this, so you're just trying to set something up to actually just live like Jesus. That coworker or this or that, whatever, you're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus and you're really going to do it, but you're going to do it in his power. Again, there's nothing wrong with like setting goals, but it's when the goals become the end goal. So setting boundaries, some of you, and this is for me, again, some of us, we need to set boundaries. Like in our lives, because things that they may not be har harmful for other believers, but man, they just mess with us. They mess with me. And we have to watch for that. See, again, and the Spirit will give you guidance to this, because trust me, this is the thing that whenever something happens, the Spirit's kind of like sending off the warning flash. He's like, whoa, hold up, dude, you're about to do something wrong. You're, you're wrong way, wrong way. And it may not bother anybody else, but for some reason, man, it gets you, or get, and you just have to set those boundaries. And be willing to let Jesus work. Because here's the thing. It may be something somebody else can do, but it's not worth the glory of God. 
because our lives to bring glory to God. So therefore, we put these things aside and we're just really focusing on who Jesus is and living it out. Find a spiritual training partner. Um, I said this because uh, you've got to find somebody to journey with. Uh, I have a picture up here. It's going to be kind of funny. I'm going to kind of burn through it really quick. Anybody know who this person is on the right? Who is that? Arnold. Bonus points. Who can tell me who's on the left? Yes. Yep, passed away this week. Passed away uh, last Saturday. Franco Colombo. Him and Arnold were friends for like 50-something years, I think it was. And if you listen to Arnold's testament to who Franco, Franco Colombo was, he was his training partner. And obviously you can tell, um, Arnold is like 6'2", probably 230, 240 at that point, which if you can't tell, I'm like 6'2", 230, about 230, but I don't look like that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Colombo, I think he was like 5'6", uh, about 180-something pounds, roughly. They don't look like they match up at all. But the man on the left was who made Arnold who he was. He was his training partner. He pushed him, he pushed him, he pushed him, and Arnold pushed him constantly. They worked together. They shared life together. And here's the thing. In the Christian world that we live in today, we're so individualistic. We don't share our lives with people. And that's why life groups matter. Getting plugged in. And then outside of a life group, having somebody that you can really push, that can really push you and you can push them. Because until we get that and we're really open with people, and sometimes it's hard to be open in maybe like a larger setting, but having somebody just to really just share life with who's pushing you to be more like Jesus and you're pushing them to be more like Jesus, to open your life up with, we're not really ever going to succeed. Because what's going to happen is we're going to really maybe set out to do these truths we're going to really try to follow these truths and we're really following after Jesus and we're going to mess up. And if we don't have anybody to share that mess up with, that we can be honest with and say, hey man, I really messed up. We're going to fall into despair and shame and we're going to repeat the cycle again. We have to have people to share our lives with and we have to be willing to dive into the gospel for in it there is new life and renewed mind. Find somebody. Because if, they're not, if you're not getting pushed by somebody, you're not really going to get better. It's the same thing in like with lifting weights. If you don't have anybody to push you, you're going to pretty much stay the same. In fact, I had a guy I was training with, and since I don't have anybody to train with anymore, I've lost a lot of stuff that I could do because I didn't have anybody to push me. Find somebody that you trust, that you can share your life with and journey with them and be pushed by that because that's how Jesus wired us. He wired us for community, find a group to get plugged into, and just follow Jesus. Dive into the gospel and just trust him. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you.